Now when they heard, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they would help selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received the food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, as we come now to your word, we ask you to speak and to apply your word to us and to our church and to give us your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> well, friends, um, keep your eyes, please, on that super long reading. Um, as you've clearly heard, it's Pentecost, um, and it's one of the happiest days of the church year uh, because we remember how Jesus gives us his Holy Spirit. And I'm going to try to explain why that's such a big deal in a few minutes. Um, however, as we enter this day, um, just like we began the service, I think it's really important that we recognize that we're coming to this day um, from the vantage point of a terrible calamity. Uh, and of course, it's not just one calamity. Uh, it's a lot of calamities, and they're all kind of piled up. Um, George Floyd is a precious human being made in God's image, and his death is an unspeakable horror. And it's amplified by the fact that this is the latest iteration of a nightmare that goes back hundreds of years in our nation and that just won't stop. And the grief and the pain and the anger and the fear that is felt and expressed around our nation, it's overwhelming and it overwhelms us, it overwhelms me. And of course it follows any number of other griefs. 100,000 people have died from COVID-19. I don't even know what to do with that number. I, I, don't, I don't know what to do with that. And there's more, and there's a lot more. And this week, as I was coming to this text, knowing that Pentecost is coming, I, I came with the question, what does this reading have to say? I mean, what does Pentecost have to say to a people in the middle of a calamity, a train wreck? What gift does Jesus have to give us? 
And then I went to the text. And almost immediately I see Jesus's kindness. Pentecost is the day that Jesus gives us his Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and if you know what that means, you know it's a gift. Because at the beginning of the day, in our reading, the people in the story, they hate each other. They just hate each other for cause. It's a calamity. It's a train wreck. And at the end of the story, however, they're reconciled to each other because they're reconciled to God. And it's the Holy Spirit that does the change. The Holy Spirit enters into the calamity and builds a community of reconciliation out of it. And that's what I want to show you today. I want to show you that the Holy Spirit is a gift from Jesus specifically to his enemies who have no right to it. And Jesus gives his Holy Spirit through a hopelessly compromised and complicit man, Peter. And the result of all of it is that you get a church that is shot through with reconciliation. It's just animated with reconciliation. And that's what I want to show you. Now, come with me into the scene, okay? Um, when this story opens up and when the scene opens up, we're in Jerusalem with Jesus's disciples. About 50 days before this, Jesus has died and risen again. About 10 days before this, Jesus has ascended into heaven. And so for the last 10 days, the disciples have been huddled in an upper room, um, praying, a kind of quarantine. They're scared. And Jesus told them to wait. Jesus told them to wait for the Holy Spirit, but they weren't exactly sure what that was going to be like when the Holy Spirit came. They didn't precisely know what to expect. And then Pentecost came. Verse 1, everything goes crazy in the middle of their prayer meeting. Um, they hear something, something like wind blowing through the room. Then they see something, something like fire coming down and resting upon all of them. Now, wind and fire are both images from the Old Testament of God's presence and God's power. And then all of a sudden, they find themselves, it's a crazy story, they find themselves utterly captivated with God and all that God has done through Jesus Christ and they start talking. Maybe they start singing. They start praising God. And the crazy thing is just getting started because as they start praising God verbally out loud, I think they're speaking in their own language, but they're being heard by the mother language of whoever is listening to them. Now, I can hear somebody say, whoa, hang on. There's a lot of crazy things going on in there and I don't understand any of it. Now, if that's where you're at, fantastic, because that's exactly what everybody in Jerusalem thought. So somehow this group of disciples having uh, experienced this remarkable wind, fire, speaking, people hearing it in other languages, they go outside. And as they go outside, it, apparently it's noisy and it gathers a crowd. And everybody in the crowd that's looking at the disciples, they're thinking the same thing that most of us are thinking, this is crazy, what are these guys doing? And some of them, some of them in the crowd shrug it off by saying something like, well, I mean, I guess it's five o'clock somewhere. You know, they're just getting an early start on a hopping party. But then Peter gets up. And Peter starts talking to this crowd. And it all gets very serious really quickly. Here's why. This is the first time that Peter has been face to face with some of the people 
who killed Jesus. Peter looks at this crowd from Jerusalem, and I don't know if he recognized faces, I'm not exactly sure how it happened, but somehow he knows that this crowd or people in this crowd were implicated and were part of the plot to kill Jesus just 50 days before. So you have to understand that Peter is looking into the eyes of his enemies. You've got to feel the hatred, the grief, the anger. He's looking into the eyes of his own enemies. And he's been, Peter has been terrified by these people because, and that's part of the reason he's been hiding in this room for 50 days. But all of a sudden, Peter's been changed. He's not frightened anymore, nor is he filled with hate. He's filled with the Holy Spirit and he starts to speak. Now, I'm gonna skip right to the punchline at the end of his sermon. Look uh, at the end of his sermon at verse 36. He says this, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, in other words, what Peter is saying here is he, he looks at the crowd and he says, hey, folks, remember that guy you murdered? Well, God reversed your murder. And God raised him up. And not only did God raise him back to life, but God has filled him and endowed him with sovereign authority over everything. He is now your Lord. Now, look what happens in verse 36, just the next verse when the crowd, these people who were involved in the, kill, in the killing of Jesus, when they hear this message, verse 37, they say, it says, when they, were, when they heard what Peter said, they were cut to the heart. That's the key word, cut to the heart. And then they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Now, that response is very important. Zero in on it. Now, if I had uh, contributed to killing somebody and then I found out that they were not dead, but alive, that, that would be very troubling. But there's more going on than that. These people, just think about this. This crowd who had helped kill Jesus, they had previously heard, almost certainly some of them had heard Jesus teach in person. They had personally witnessed the greatest religious teacher of the day. And yet despite their notable privilege, their privileged access to hearing the teachings of Jesus. Nevertheless, throughout Jesus's ministry, their hearts had remained hard, hard like a stone, hard and unchanged. They, in fact, they had been so hardened, despite the fact of having heard Jesus teach, they had been so hardened that they could justify murdering Jesus. Anytime we find justify, justifications for murder, there's a huge problem. And so from one perspective, this crowd and these people, they are hopeless, except that it was Pentecost Sunday and the Holy Spirit was working. And the Holy Spirit, Emmanuel, is like a scalpel. You know a scalpel? Surgeons use it, doctors, I think. The Holy Spirit is a scalpel in the hands of Jesus and he slices open hard hearts. What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. When they heard Peter's message and the Holy Spirit began working upon their hearts, these people who had contributed to Jesus's death, they all of a sudden in a flash realized the horror of their sin. 
And that's one of the signs of the Spirit's work. The Holy Spirit slices open our hearts so that we feel the horror of sin. And we feel the horror of sin around us and outside us in the world and in other people, but we're only ever safe to handle the sin that's outside us and the world around us when we have faced the horror of the sin inside us. And the Holy Spirit works by showing us our own sin, slicing open our hearts. And I want to know, Emmanuel, is the Holy Spirit doing that in you? Is the Holy Spirit slicing open your heart? Now, when that happens, let's not be coy. It hurts. It's excruciating. It's this excruciating pain that must occur when we stop self-justifying. It's painful. But on the other hand, we must remember that scalpels, Emmanuel, are not weapons. Scalpels are instruments of healing. And the spirit slices open our hearts only to heal. And this is one of the great hopes of the Old Testament. Um, if you go back to the Old Testament, you'll find the story of Israel. And you can see this in all the prophets. In fact, you can see this in uh, the uh, reading from Daniel that we started with. Israel was always plagued with hard hearts. And there were individuals with hard hearts. But there was also in Israel a corporate aspect to hardness. There was individual sin, but there was also corporate, you could say, systemic sin. And they just could not get themselves free. They were calamity after calamity. And a bunch of the Old Testament prophets, notably the prophet Joel, says that the only real way that uh, Israel is going to be renewed and liberated and uh, reformed is if God pours out his Holy Spirit into that hard heart, the individual and the corporate. Now, keep that in your mind and go back to your reading, because Peter stands up on this Pentecost Sunday and he quotes the prophet Joel. And he says, Joel's prophecy about the power of the Holy Spirit to open up hard hearts is coming true. And that explains why when Peter sees this crowd, Jesus's enemies cut to the heart, he says, verse 38, look at it. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit too. Pause. Now, if you want to understand what that verse means, you need to understand Peter's backstory. The speaker, Peter, the preacher. Because if you back up 50 days, Peter wasn't exactly an enemy of Jesus, at least not overtly. He didn't help kill Jesus. He didn't betray Jesus. That was Judas. But he was a coward. And he was, and in his cowardice, he became complicit with Jesus's enemies. Do you remember the story? Um, so Jesus gets arrested. Peter uh, had previously said, Jesus, I'm, I'm going to be with you to the end, man. I'm totally in with you. But then once Jesus gets arrested, Peter switches and, and he, he denies that he has anything to do with Jesus, and he denies it three times in one night. What happens is he stays safe by checking out and trying to stay neutral. I'm not on anybody's team. And he ended up complicit. And therefore, after Jesus rose, Jesus and Peter needed to talk this out. 
And you can read about that in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 21. And in that conversation, when Jesus, the resurrected Jesus and Peter go for a walk, in that conversation, the Holy Spirit slices open Peter's heart with a scalpel. And Peter responds with, keyword, repentance. Uh, repentance is a churchy word, but it means unconditional surrender to Jesus Christ. And that's the second sign of the Holy Spirit's work. The Holy Spirit cuts open our hearts, showing us the horror of our sin, but then the Holy Spirit allures us and draws us to an unconditional surrender to Jesus Christ. Now, the problem with me saying unconditional surrender is that that sounds like a defeat. It's not a defeat. It's the opposite of a defeat, because when the power of the Holy Spirit enters your life, what happens is Peter utterly surrendered to Jesus. But then, in that moment, he was bound to Jesus in a new kind of unconquerable love. He was bound to Jesus in an animating and intimate bond of affection that then, from that point forward, motivated all of his obedience with a joy and with a delight. Do you remember, um, if you read Jesus it, during his ministry on earth, he was motivated out of his love for the Father. That love for the Father was given to Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter, after his total surrender or repentance to Christ, is also motivated by a newfound love for Jesus Christ, and that love was a gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, keep all that in mind and bring it now to this scene in Acts chapter 2, because I want you to see the elegance of this moment. Peter, the complicit coward whose heart had been cut open by the Spirit and who, in whom the Spirit had given full surrender so that now he was animated by a love that he could not generate himself, that Peter on Pentecost in the power of the Holy Spirit looks at his enemies and offers the exact same thing that Jesus had offered him. He offers full amnesty and renewal and repentance and surrender and restoration to Jesus's most virulent enemies. And Emmanuel, that was the moment that the church of Jesus Christ was born. Now, can you see how the Holy Spirit builds communities of reconciliation? Jesus reconciles his enemies. And he does it by using a cowardly and complicit disciple who has been transformed. But still, there's more. Do you remember the weird language thing at the beginning? Speaking in tongues. The disciples, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they began to praise God, and which was just the outward expression of that inward bond of love with Jesus Christ that the Holy Spirit had given them. But the weird thing is that as they praise God, everyone starts hearing the praise in their own language, whatever their mother tongue was. What in the world is that all about? Another backstory. I'll do it quickly. Do you remember how I said in the Old Testament, Israel was marked both by individual sin and also corporate sin? Well, even before Israel enters the picture, in Genesis chapter 11, there's the story of the Tower of Babel. Maybe you've heard it. And it's a story of, on the surface about a bunch of people building a big tower. But underneath the construction story, there's a deeper story of corporate rebellion against God. I can't go into all the details, but the people of the city of Babel 
were allied together in rejecting God. It wasn't just individuals rejecting God. It was an, a, a corporate alliance of rejection against God. Very often, it's easy for us to think about individual sin, but Babel tells us about a corporate aspect to sin. Now, the trouble is their corporate sin in, at Babel caused the whole society to crumble and melt down. And, and part of that is God comes and confuses their languages so that they can't understand each other. And that amplifies the division between them and they end up being polarized and the whole society falls apart. Uh, even as I say that, I wanna say sound familiar. And, and all through the Bible, the fact that these nations have different languages is an image of a deeper persistent division against each other and our need for reconciliation, both to God and to each other. Now, that's the backstory. Bring that to Acts chapter two, because the God's Holy Spirit enables people to understand each other. And that's a sign, that's a symbol that the Holy Spirit is beginning to undo the division of Babel. The Holy Spirit is reconciling nations and tribes to each other that would otherwise hate each other. The Holy Spirit is building something called church, a community reconciled to God in Jesus Christ and therefore reconciled to one another because what Christ has done up in them. And the language thing is a sign. It's a sign that that's happening. But if you look at the end of the story, did you catch the end of the story? At the end of the story, you get to see that reality played out. I can't go into detail, but can you see this community made up of people who were contributed to Jesus's death and Jesus's disciples bound together in one body, wealthy Christians sharing with poorer Christians, people from multiple backgrounds and multiple ethnicities. Um, and they're all united by looking at Jesus through the apostles teaching. And all these themes grow bigger and come against great obstacles as you read through the rest of the book of Acts. But I hope you can see that on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit began to build a community of reconciliation. And all of it is because Jesus died for his enemies. They deserved God's justice, his wrath and his anger. And right now in our nation, we know something of anger towards injustice. And if we feel anger towards injustice, just imagine the magnitude of God's wrath. But that came down on Jesus. He suffered in, their, in the place of his enemies. And then the Holy Spirit draws Jesus's enemies, both then and now, into a reconciled intimacy with Jesus and with Jesus's people. So Emmanuel, what does all this mean for us today? So many things. Here are just a few. Some of us are outraged at the failure of the church to be a reconciled community. And there's good reason to be outraged. The church today often acts like Old Testament Israel. Sometimes we act like Jesus's enemies and we invoke his name. And more often, we act like Peter, complicit and cowardly. And therefore, there is reason to be outraged. But let me ask you this. Is the outrage that you feel an 
a self-righteous outrage or is it the outrage that is prophetic? What do I mean? Well, self-righteous outrage will work like this. Um, The church is a disaster. It's hopeless. At least I'm on the side of the folks who really see the church for what it is. And we step back. On the other hand, prophetic outrage goes something like this. I see the horror of the church's sin because I have seen the same horror somewhere in me. I see it in my own people. And I am cut to the heart, just like Daniel. Remember Daniel when we started? I am cut to the heart that we remain unchanged by the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And therefore, says the prophetic outrage, I cry out, God, will you pour out your Holy Spirit upon us? Will you make us new like Peter? Will you make us fully surrender to Christ in a deeper way? And will you fill us with a love that we cannot generate ourselves, that is shaped by the cross, until we become a people who love to sacrifice ourselves for the sake of others? Now, others of us are not outraged so much as just filled with grief. And I want to know, is the Holy Spirit giving us a missionary grief? Because Jesus used to cry. Did you know that? Jesus used to cry for Jerusalem. And when the Holy Spirit works in his people, and when the Holy Spirit reconciles you to Jesus, we often feel that same grief. And it's the distress that comes from seeing the urgent need that the world is in of reconciliation to Christ. And so if you're grieving, it may be that the Holy Spirit is imparting a missionary kind of grief. Consent to it. Pray for opportunities to share of Jesus's reconciliation, to demonstrate Jesus's reconciliation, to give away what you have to serve others. In a few weeks, we're actually holding a training, I'll mention this later, of, of how, to, how to have spiritual conversations, good, rich spiritual conversations with people who don't know anything or don't like Jesus or, or aren't Christians, or, and how to do that specifically in this context where there's so much grief and dif- difficulty and anger and struggle. Sign up for that. Jesus wants to make you, by his spirit, an instrument of reconciliation. Consent to that. And then finally, some of us are sensing the scalpel. The Holy Spirit is cutting open your heart and you're beginning to desire to be a Christian. If that's you, consent to it. The Holy Spirit wants to bring you to a full surrender to Christ. And that sounds scary. And let's be clear, it is scary, but it is the path of freedom. And if that's you, do what Novella did. Pray a prayer like this. Jesus, you are both God and human. And you suffered the full weight of God's wrath against all evil and injustice when you died upon the cross and you did that as my substitute. You suffered on the cross for me. I confess to you 
that my heart has been hard and that I have self-justified and that I am in need of reconciliation with God. And so will you apply the cross to me? Will you forgive me? Will you pardon me? Will you give me full amnesty? And will you pour out your Holy Spirit to bind me to you, to adopt me as a child of God? And will you make me an agent and an instrument of reconciliation in a world that is so desperate for it? Lord Jesus, only you can give me your spirit. So come, Holy Spirit. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, Our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.